Hi, you're listening to the best bits of Breakfasters. For this week, ending Friday the 23rd of February, we are broadcast live on Triple R every weekday morning from 6 to 9am from Melbourne, Australia. Coming up on the podcast this week, Nat bought some shoes a year ago and they're still uncomfortable. So she talks about some ways to break them in. And while she's walking around in her wet Doc Martens digger, can tell us when to pick fruit and veg and let us know when it's ripe. Vanessa Toholka broke down TikTok's music agreements and UMG removing their artists from the platform. And Mel Cranenberg reviewed Kylie Reid's second book, Come and Get It. Acclaimed anti-chef Dennis Yong joins us to talk about his creation, CBF Cuisine, an event celebrating some unexpected bootleg cooking techniques. And we end the week on how to strike it rich with a container deposit scheme. Triple R. My list of things to do today or tomorrow, I'm posting a pair of shoes on Facebook Marketplace for sale. I do it with mixed emotions. Mm. Um, Like I love these shoes. They're amazing. But I have just failed to break them in, basically. I've had them for about a year. (gasps) And I... I wear them. I, wo- I wear them pretty consistently. What type of shoes are we talking? So we're, we're talking the Docs, Doc Martens. Yes. Okay. They are kind of my weekend shoes. They're paint and they're shiny. They're platform, which I think adds a degree of difficulty to the process of breaking them in. Mm. And, yeah, mainly kind of wear them on weekends. I've had them for about a year, wearing them out. And I just... Are they the right size? Yep, the right size. I've done the socks. I've done the band-aids. There's something with Doc Martens. I think this has come up before where there's people who say, oh, you just got to persist. If you just keep wearing... It's like when people say to watch Shits Creek, mm. never happening. Uh, not watching six seasons of something. Like eight like. seasons. Yeah. yeah. It's like with Doc... They're like, just keep wearing them. Wear them to bed. <laughs> they are particularly difficult. Absolutely. I, I have heard that. And I think... With the platform, these are extremely difficult, I'd say, mm. high-grade because they're un- like a black diamond <laughs> of, the, of breaking in the shoes, if you will. But I have persisted and I did speak to another comic I saw at a gig and she had the exact same pair and I said, how did, how did you go? Mm. Like, these are really hard. I just can't seem to do it. I can't seem to break the back. And, yeah, she said the similar thing, but it, she did it. It's but achievable. she didn't have a secret. She just persisted. No. Yeah. Someone on the text line says to wear them in the rain. Okay. Damage them. And then also it won't break them in and then you can't sell them. So you're so risky. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, I mean the insoles and I just am like how long do you give it? Really, like how much discomfort are we supposed to put up with? And purely when it is for aesthetic or fashion. Like I get it when you're doing like hiking boots Mm. or maybe running shoes that are designed specifically for an activity and you know that they will offer you support that is necessary. Mm. But this is purely just for looks. Uh, Another uh, tip yeah, on the text line, uh, use a hammer. What? Put a towel over the shoes and then give them a bang (laughs) if that helps. You know what they How many do? goes does this just make, product get? Yeah, just make shoes that are comfortable and fit. Is yeah. that so much? Oh. Well, that's the thing as well. Like, does it detract when you look at someone and you go, oh, they look great, love those shoes? Would it detract of your kind of perception of them and how you feel about their outfit if you knew that underneath those shoes, their feet were covered in blisters and Band-Aids on? 
you know. Mm, like if you knew what was going on in the shoe, you yeah. never want to know what's going on inside someone's shoe. No, yeah, that's fair enough. So when you say Band-Aids and socks, how deep and committed have you been? Explorer socks? I mean, what what sort of socks? Uh I mean, no, I, I, I went with, like, I explored lots of different types of socks. I bought insoles, I guess. I went thinner socks because I feel like with the extra weight of the platform, I needed kind of more grip in my foot. Like, I felt like my foot needed to be engaged when walking yeah. in these shoes. Does that make sense? Well, where, where were the blisters? On the back. Okay. So there's rubbing. Yeah. And there's so wouldn't just you need thick socks then? No, not necessarily. Like, because sometimes a sock, I feel like a thicker sock can add to the rubbing. Okay. Because ah. your foot's kind of moving around more in the shoe. That's what I felt with these because there's an extra weight to the platform. Mm. Uh, yeah, I feel like the platform added an element. But I did speak to a friend before Christmas at length. And we kind of know that the Doc Martens are kind of tricky to break in. But he felt like no one had told him. He's oh. like, everyone is walking around in these shoes and kind they're of worn in. Mm. But he's like, I never got the memo. Mm. He bought the brogues. He bought them for work. And he was going to the extent, like, I think he bought them kind of for the formal versatility mm. kind of. That was the appeal of the shoe, why he went for the brogue, Doc Martin. But he's like, no one's talking about it. Mm. Like, you know, everyone looks so cool. Like the image of the shoe. But everyone's walking around Melbourne with blisters and band-aids. Bleeding, and... going home crying. Yeah. They've got a pair of Dunlop volleys <laughs> in their backpack secretly. At least I look cool. Yeah. Um, some other tips. My God, the tips are so funny. Yeah, great. Let's um, hear them. Soak them and then microwave <laughs> what? on a low heat. Like, this sounds Take like the chicken out. a weird CBS yeah. cooking segment. After you've microwaved your chook, boil them in stock for 24 um, days. Then another one says, like a leather jacket. Again, I've never had to break in a leather jacket, but uh, as you would with leather jackets, submerge it in very warm water for a while, then wear it around, wear them around for a while. So wear them, so wear them in the rain. This this seems to track rain, boiling them, microwaving them, no, not seasoning boiling. them in what herbs, not boiling, just soaking in, in warm water. Um, and oh, the person's clarified with the hammering. Yep, uh, not the entire shoe, just the bits <laughs> that that rub, that rub. Okay, so the know. back, the yeah, back maybe heel. the toe and the the heel. I mean, people are telling me not to give up. Do you know what? I, yeah, they are. Do you know what people I'm thinking? People are saying though? keep going. It seems like these shoes would have better resale value than buying new because you've done all the hard work for them. Mm. So you should actually sell them at a profit. Yeah, that, that is because I bought. I've got the other Doc Martens just without the platform, and that was my tip to my friend at the pub who was very upset. And I was like, you got to buy them secondhand mm. online because someone's done the hard yards for you. Yeah. Because new shoes are embarrassing, aren't they? I've Not. always thought that. Yeah. In fact, new shoes are embarrassing. I look around and if I see people wearing <laughs> shoes that don't that uh, look clean, I uh, dack them in the street. I do. I say, look at you, you nerd. And your new purchase. I hope you're self-conscious about that. Uh, but what about a cotton wool ball under a bigger Band-Aid? Mm, no, because I think just adding more layers is just more things to rub. You really, it really does Isn't come Isn't in down. the insulation against the No, because they can come off. It just gets messy. It really does come down to, like, that. It, I, I'll endure the Band-Aids and the cotton, ball, like, cotton balls for, a cu- like, a month or But this is a two. year. This has been intermittent over a year, have mainly you, weekend wears. We're not wearing them around the house, someone suggests. 
Yeah, sure. Yeah, right. My apartment's tiny. No, but I think I like the water. Your neighbours will love that. Just stomping up. Yeah, I am on the top floor. Take up some Irish. I mean, what about you two? Have you ever struggled with a pair of shoes? Oh, God. Do you know what? I have. I never bought this these docks before um, and I never will based on this conversation. I mean, they're fantastic shoes, but yeah, it's hard work. I just want to look cool, but I don't. I can't. (laughs) Um, I've bought boots before that are uncomfortable Mm. and so then I just. Don't wear them. Yeah. Because, and then it just becomes this cycle because I think, oh, they're too uncomfortable. I don't want to wear them when I'm going out for a long time. Mm. Um, and then there's a couple of times I've worn them here because we're sitting the whole time. And I was like, oh, that's good, but then I don't want to walk anywhere. Anyway, so I give up, but I keep them. Sounds like you give up really quickly. Yeah. Sounds like you didn't even try no, almost to break I've them in. I've got a nice pair of boots at home with a heel, but I'm like, when are we going to wear a heel? Well, it sounds like you got some boots with an excellent resale value, like you told <laughs> me. You wear Birkenstocks, though. They're particularly hard. Like, they're, like, meant to be so comfortable. But they, they take some work, don't they? I didn't find they take work. It's nice. You wear them and you think, oh, maybe I've been wearing the wrong shoes all the time because these have a contour. Mm. Maybe, you know... I don't know, maybe this is how shoes should be. Yeah. And thank you, Birkenstock, for sponsoring Breakfast. Yeah, sorry, I know. I have to get specific with brands here. Slightly wet socks is another suggestion. Yuck. Yeah, that's very unappealing. But it's kind of when you buy a cricket bat, a new cricket bat, which is embarrassing, obviously, but when you. Humiliating. uh, When you you knock it in and it brings you closer and it's, it's noisy. Uh, but you have to bang and bang and bang and bang and bang and bang the mm. a, a ball against the bat and to get it ready. But there's something about the shoes. I feel like the pain brings you closer to it. Mm. It's like trauma bonding. Trauma bonding, but, <laughs> but for how long? But I feel like the subtext is coming through strong and clear. Like You're a quitter. S- yeah, I'm a quitter, <laughs> suffer for the look, suffer for the shoes. Mm. You started this <laughs> and I will have failed if I put them on Facebook Marketplace today. Independently yours, Triple R. 102.7. Dirt, dirt, dirt. It's where you grow your pants. Dirt, dirt, dirt. Hey, you got some on your pants. And you stop saying about dirt. For Dan and Dirty Diggers here, all plump and juicy and gagging to be clucked. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my I'm God. I'm not operating on a lot of sleep. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, it's only going to get worse from here. I'm not talking about what in this bag. Um, <laughs> what is this bag? Oh, so, um, we won't talk about wait, what the bag is. But anyway, um, this is the season. There's a lot of harvesting going yeah. on. Yeah. And I've just been getting um, text after text after text, like, oh, when do I pick this? Is this ripe? What do I do? So I thought, oh, well, there's, you know, there's a segment in that, surely. Mm. Are you guys having issues with when to harvest different things? No, well, I don't have any. Uh, the only fruit I have is passion fruit, and that basically just falls off when it's ready. Yeah. Well, that, <laughs> so that's helpful. Well, that's what it's exactly right. designed to do. Yeah. <laughs> so some fruits... Fall and others don't. Yeah. Well, it's a, this is where that human kind of thing of like what's ripe. It's a mm. kind of you know perception kind of thing. Um, different purposes. So if we go back to the plant, yeah, the passion fruit falling off the plant because what is a fruit to a plant? It's a it's a carrier of seed. Mm. So once gestation is finished, it'll send a sign, and one of the signs is I'll just drop to the ground, and now let the soil organisms start to crack it open and deliver the seed to the ground. Got it. 
things like apples or tomatoes, which are green, first and foremost, they're doing that to stay hidden and camouflaged in the, on the plant. And then we'll change their colour. Once gestation's finished, they'll change the colour, put different chemical compounds into it, mainly sugars, to get mammals and birds and everything to come and eat you because you can see them now through the leaves and distribute the seeds for them. So that's, that's what the plant's trying to do. But if we have things like this, and here's, this is where the prop comes in. I don't know if I should pull them out or you just want to put your hand yeah, in Yeah, let's put the bag in. This will be fun. <laughs> oh, it's cold and long. Oh, my God. <laughs> Quite the girth. Wow. Everyone go for one here, Mon. A huge cucumber. I won't look. Yeah. Apologies if I ruined the reveal. No, that's exactly what I would do. They're all the same. Everyone's got one. All the same. So these are from my place. And I was literally yesterday, because my garden is just all over the joint, right? Everything's tumbled in over one another. Nothing's really staked. And so these were hidden amongst tomatoes and cucumbers growing together. Mm. And so there's like, oh, shit, they've gone too long. Yes. So for us, now, I don't know, you guys give the listeners descriptions. I mean, They're it's big cucumbers. as long as my arm. Yeah. <laughs> Forearm. Mine is, I don't mean to be, mine's ribbed. Uh... <laughs> supposed to be? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. they're burpless cucumbers. So if you see them in the supermarket... Um, people who know burpless cucumbers are probably about a quarter of the size of what these are right now. We were talking about shoes. This cucumber could oh, yeah, be a weapon. Decent, got a decent <laughs> yeah. weight to it. Yeah. So the same thing happened with my zucchini where they, you leave them for a second and yeah. then you come back and they're under the leaves and they're huge. Yeah, absolutely. So this is, you know, this would have been ideal to pick four days ago. Okay. They grow and that so quick. When mine get that big, I usually just compost them because they're so too. I thought they'd be too yucky to eat. Well, this is the exact thing. It's like, well, what are you going to do? Well, if you're going to with an eggplant or, or a zucchini, zucchini, you could do you know a really good moussaka with you know big pieces of zucchini. Yeah. That would really work. See so these cucumbers now. There's they're swelling so much that you're losing flesh and gaining mm. more seed and albumum, so the gel around the seeds. Mm-hmm. Because remember, that's what they're trying to do. Mm. This is a womb. So, um, it's it looks incredibly enticing. Yeah, you can bite in if you want. They're yours to keep. Go for it. Oh. Yeah, I will pass on that. But fresh, mm, lovely, very refreshing. Yeah. So um, you got your wee for a while. Yeah. <laughs> Turn my mic off. Yeah. Um, yeah, you get cucumber belly. So you know they've gone over a little bit, but for if you're going to pickle. These cucumbers are perfect because then you get a little bit more, mm-hmm. you know, volume to get. So it doesn't matter if the flavour, if they're a bit bland, because you you're because you're going to be pickling them. Mm-hmm. So if you pick them a little bit younger, they're going to be a little bit sweeter. So everything, you know, loses a bit of flavour. So um, it's about purpose. So the tomatoes, everyone's got tomatoes going right now, and I was like, well, when do you pick them? Um, obviously, the redness or the orangeness is is ideal. But again, if you're going to make chutneys, then Pick them when they've got the most volume because if you wait four days and the rats are going to get them, sorry, Mon, trauma, <laughs> and you, know, you do whatever you need to do. Look at baby carrots. Baby carrots absolutely shit on large, older carrots. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's about your purpose. Um, someone's apple tree, mm-hmm. Fuji apple tree, has started dropping fruit, but the apples are still really green. Yeah. So do they let them ripen on the shelf? There's a picture I'll show you. Yeah, so that's that's a water issue. So the tree is actually starting to dry out. Oh, they're, see, they're close. See how they – in the picture here, sorry for other listeners, they're starting to get the blush. Mm. So they were green. They're starting to get that pink blush. So it's they're very, very close. But the tree's identified for this final stage – like last trimester, effectively, mm. I don't have the water here mm. to get them all through. So I'll dump what I need to dump and maybe only let 5% get through. It might even lead to absolutely zero. We're going to have 30 
337 over the next two days. Mm. That's not great. I'd get the hose out on that one. Okay. Broadly, do people go premature with the plucking? Yeah, it's either to absolute extremes. So they see a fruit, it's like, oh, my God, I've got something, I'm going to have it. Mm. And it happens a lot, especially with apples, mm. because they see green, it's like, ah, oh, it's greenish and it's big. Because with apples, they, they get to their volume first and then ripen. Mm. So, yeah, they see this big, beautiful green apple, it's like, oh, it's got to be good now, and then have one bite and it's like sent back through the wall with tartness. Mm. Or pull yeah. out their So how long should they have waited? So with something like an apple, obviously... Full colour, if you know the variety and it does change colour, wait for that full colour to happen. If it's a green apple like a Granny Smith, mm. they actually change their inflorescence. So they actually get a, a sheen on them once they're fully ripened and a smell. So you'll be able to put your nose to the skin and smell Granny Smith, but you won't be able to smell it before then. And wow. the skin changes colour. It gets almost like a vibrancy mm. to it. And because I know with tomatoes, if you pick them when they're not completely ripe, you can put them in like a paper bag in yep. a dark place and ripen them. Yeah, tomatoes and apples help that. You can that. do the same? Yeah, so that, that, there's a, a gas called ethylene that you know, fruits give off and bananas are the ones that do it the most. So you know when you're you know, buying tomatoes and you see they're kind of yellow but the tops are still green? Mm-hmm. That's when they're actually giving off the most ethylene because they're actually trying to ripen themselves. So you can put a banana like that in a bag with tomatoes or whatever any other fruit and vegetable um, in a dark place and it will help ripen them up. So the smell is always a reliable indicator or it means that it's on its way? Yeah, no, the smell is it's good to go. Oh, so, yeah, yeah. Um, the other one with apples is obviously, you know, if you, you're going to cut it open, mm-hmm. maybe pick one and cut it open. If the seeds are dark brown, so anything other than dark brown, the seeds haven't gestated, so it hasn't fully ripened yet. What about pomegranates? Because I know okay. I had a tree at my old share house and I could just never get to one yeah. before it was on the ground and cracked open and yeah. the birds were at it. Well, that's the ripeness, the cracking of it. Okay. So um, this is where, again, taking a little bit of note about how they kind of look, a sheen will change, um, you'll start to see some stress cracks in them and then temperature. So you, you see patterns of, okay, every time it's over 27 degrees, these things just explode because mm. that's part of what it is. It's yep. expansion, contraction. And they're trying to deliver the seeds to the outside world. I'd pick them off the ground too anyway. Uh, yeah. Yeah, uh, what about vegetables? So um, right now, corn, people are talking about, well, when's corn ready? When the tassels go brown. Essentially, you know, the hairs on the mm-hmm. top of your corn, when they're brown. If you're still not completely sure, just crack it open a little bit and put your thumb into a kernel. And if the, the juice that comes out of the kernel is cloudy, it's good. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. a good thing. If it's clear, it's not ready yet. And you're only sacrificing one kernel. One kernel, you know, out of hundreds and hundreds. Things like, I don't know, your eggplants, when your skin bounces back, so give them a poke. If it stays indented, it's not ready. If it's ready, it'll just bounce right back. There's a firmness to it, like a a basketball. What do you think of the... uh, Oh, someone's asking, how do you know when limes are ripe? Limes are actually yellow. So we pick a, it's we pick limes when they're green skinned. That's when they're slightly under, and that's why you get a different flavour profile. Mm. You let a lime go yellow, and it tastes like a Maya lemon. Yeah, right. It's a totally different flavour profile altogether. So is it harder to pick a lime too early because essentially we're always having harvesting them early? We're always harvesting early, and that's why you get the juice content is a lot lower because we're hard, we're going too early. Oh, so you okay. need more, that's why you need more limes. Um, what about fajoas? Do they fall or can you pick them? Yeah, fajoas, this is where there's an ease of release. So falling on the ground is absolutely, they're, per, they're at their absolute best. 
but then we're talking about like they should be eaten that day when they fall. Yeah. So if you want to go in early, and, and it's, a, it's literally a, a gardening term of ease of release of anything, whether you're picking a tomato or an apple, if you just grab it and half a turn and it comes off, it's perfectly ready to okay. go. Any sort of resistance there and it's just kind of telling you, no, no, no. So are there fruits or vegetables that we're going at an inopportune time but we're leaping because it's aesthetically more pleasing? Like um, yeah, like lime Yeah, yeah. There, is there more of that? Um, yeah, I'd, I'd even say pumpkins. So people who cut pumpkins off the vine, they're actually they ripen after the vine dies. So as the vine is dying down, they're still drawing nutrients out of that annual. Um, and that's what gives them the ability to last for so much longer because they've stored so much nutrient. Mm. So if you actually cut them off, you cut that you know, stem off and harvest the pumpkin, it won't, it, it'll just start rotting straight away. Whereas if you let that die on the vine and then pull it off and keep the stalk still on it, it'll last 12 months. Oh, okay. 12 months. Wait, just to get back to the limes, if, if, they're, if they go yellow, but how do you know when they're, but how do you know when they're like, when you can pick them? Because no one wants to leave their limes to go yellow. Well, that's just it. Try it through all different phases and see which phase, the, uh, okay. the juice profile you like. But the earlier you go, the less juice you get. Yeah, okay. Their skin actually gets quite thin. Mm. See how limes are quite firm and... Mm. and as the older they get, they thin right out yeah, okay. and go yellow. It's quite amazing. And with the ease of release, how often, what percentage of fruit or vegetables, once you've picked it, there is no further development versus it is developing as it ages in a productive way? Well, there's always going to be further development because it's that, that casing that's holding the seed, the whole idea of that is that if it isn't eaten and ingested by someone or something, um, then it will decompose and actually form the nutrient profile around the seeds. And so that when, if the seed germinates, then it gets to feed off those nutrients. So it never actually stops. Decomposition is, is intended. Mm. Mm. What do you you make... just get more sugars. The longer it goes, it gets more sugars. Do you have an attitude towards the, you know, the, the ugly fruit in the supermarkets with the picking and, you know, there was a four-corner special this week. Mm. Do you have a theory about fruit pickers and do you have any horticultural knowledge that feeds into the business model oh um i saw that for i was yeah infuriated by it. i was watching it last night to be honest mm. um uh gee that's a tough one I, I you know i always feel number one it's always for the farmers i'm always on the side of the farmers um they do it tough and they get you know as the doco or the story suggested you know that they, they get their hands tied and they're forced back into corners that they just don't want to be ever be in mm. Um, remember the War on Waste documentary a few years ago and that banana farmer that was on mm. that that said, I, don't, I wouldn't even let my family eat these bananas uh, that yeah. they grow. So, yeah, that's kind of where I sit on it. It's like I'm, I'm never against the farmers. It's always the, you know, the bullies. Yeah, so we're being incentivised yeah. to pick at the wrong time. There yeah. was a, Shane, I'm not sure what you think about this. Actually, we have eight fragile trees and fruit better about five days after fall. And mm. Any comment? Um, see, everyone's got a different everyone's got a different preference on it. Yeah. So, mm. And amongst that, you know, no two are the same. No two apples are the same. Depending on that fajoa variety, look, I'm, you know, where I sit on fajoas. <laughs> toss the fruit and eat the flowers. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. You don't even let them get to fruit. Just eat the flowers on the t-shirt. <laughs> uh, Digger, thanks very much. Pleasure. Melbourne's own Triple R.
vibe check on TikTok. We're joined to talk tech by Vanessa Holger. Morning, Vanessa. Good morning, breakfasters. So lovely to see you. Happy Lunar New Year. Yes. Happy all of it. Yes. Yeah, definitely. It's been a while. What a delight. Oh, and you, you filled in over the break. Oh, look, had a lovely time with Clara and Dan Morganti. Uh, yeah, it's. Uh, I've got extra respect for the hard work that you put in here every day. Oh, um, It is super fun, but it's just... Oh, hey, uh, we only make it look hard. Oh, no. Come, <laughs> no, come on now. Come on now. Um, look, I thought we, we should start the year, um, at least from my point of view, by talking about some of the big players out there because it's just so interesting um, what's happening out in social media land. Uh, I was thinking about this article from TikTok that, that landed at the end of January. So you probably know every month TikTok is growing about over 100 million new users. I don't know how long this can continue, but they're doing very well. Um, 88% of users consider that the musical soundtrack to TikTok videos is a vital component of the platform, which we all know. Um, things go viral. They bleed off over TikTok onto other social media platforms. That's how big it is. And it can be a real moment for uh, composers, musicians, artists, songwriters, um, a different time for people to discover their music, which isn't the launch of the single, the launch of the album, you know, the tour that you're doing. It's a completely independent timeline and it's a little bit random, you know, if and when they might have a chance to go viral as the background of some sort of video that takes off, um, whether it's like a user-generated challenge or just some sort of content that people think is beautiful. Um, I love to think of that Louis Theroux, like, you know, my money don't jiggle, jiggle, mm. it folds, and just how that, that had a life of its own on on the socials and mainly driven by TikTok. So that uh, made us think that when the existing licensing agreement between Universal Music Group, which is currently the biggest worldwide um, music, you know, artist representation company, um, and TikTok was, was going to expire on the 31st of January, that this was going to be significant. Surely if anyone has the weight to negotiate with TikTok on behalf of their artists, it was going to be UMG. So this is not, you know, this is a battle of Goliaths. Mm. So, um, sorry, it's not like you can get on TikTok and dial up any song in the whole world. No, no, they've got agreements of different publishers and so this one was up. But TikTok, no, you know, we have the power, we're successful and then on the 1st of February, we heard reports that negotiations had fallen apart. There was no new agreement. UMG pulled out and TikTok, with their audience reach of over a billion users, um, did wield their power. And UMG you know, practically accused them of bullying, uh, attempting to bully them in the negotiations. And, you, you know, not that we're all going, oh, poor UMG. <sighs> but it is a very interesting conversation to be having between these two heavyweights. So UMG accused TikTok of... Um, you know, pushing this bad deal that didn't address their concerns. And the concerns have gone beyond adequate compensation for artists and songwriters, which is obviously their primary, you know, job to represent. Um, but it also went into protections against AI-generated music, which I thought was fascinating. So they said, look, you've allowed the platform to be flooded with AI-generated recordings. Um, they'd also, TikTok had also built in AI music creation tools and you can understand that. It's like, you know, you're a user content enabling platform. Um, but in addition to that, they've pushed for contracts that would allow this content, um, this is a quote from UMG, to massively dilute the royalty pool for human artists. And you've got to think that's very significant and they're right on it. Um, the other aspect they pulled up which was significant was online safety for artists on the platform. Um, the lack of protections against... 
um, hate speech, bullying and harassment, um, deep fakes in a very adults-only category. This is all hugely problematic. And they've compared them with other platforms and said, look, we know it's difficult, but other platforms seem to be at least trying harder, doing a bit better. Yours seems to be a whack-a-mole approach. You know, you've got billions of users. You've got all this revenue coming in. Where, where are the solutions? You know, where is the, the structured um, approach to this? Um, so the, you know, and is it just UMG taking up this fight? Look, I'm sure it's not, but they're the biggest person yep. to have a voice in this. And um, as far as I know, they're the first to actually walk away from mm. the, the table. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's huge. Um, they allege that TikTok's proposal was um, to pay artists and songwriters at a rate that is a fraction of the rate that similarly situated social platforms pay. So um, the offer was accounting for only 1% of UMG's total revenue. And they're like considering, you know, what portion of payments uh, of plays are happening on your platform. That's crazy. Um, and, you know, it's a massive and growing user base and they're not seeing the uh, compensation for their artists growing the same way. And and just a run of who are the major artists on UMG that TikTok uses? Oh, my gosh. Them? There's so many. I mean, Taylor, Taylor Swift. Swift we have to mention. <laughs> Billie Eilish, uh, Drake, The Weeknd, Justin Bieber, Ariana Grande, Harry Styles, Kendrick Lamar, Adele, Post Malone. I mean, these are maybe not in the heartland of Triple R favourites. I'm sure they've got many, many, you know, mid-tier, smaller-tier, you know, fledgling artists on their label as well. Um, But it is a big thing to be pulling those names off the platform. Have any of those artists spoken out as well? No, no. I, I have no idea. Yeah, I haven't, yeah, I haven't sure. had I'll just time yeah, yeah, to yeah, like no. <laughs> go through. Um, no, I'm afraid I haven't noticed. But probably because I also don't incidentally follow those yeah. massive artists. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. And if smaller people are speaking out about it, you know, maybe they've just got less, mm. less um, uh, reach. Yes. Uh, but, you know, you'd think it's a huge setback to lose access to that catalogue for TikTok and what's happened with existing videos that came up, you know, mm. with those sort of bits of music, you know, the audio has been muted and oh, content wow. makers have an option to, you know, change the music that's there. You know, artists themselves, you know, particularly smaller artists are talking about how uh, I can't access my own music to attach to my own promotional videos. Oh, so they're recording weird. their own version of things straight into the platform which means they don't get any royalties for what they play, even if other people then end up using their content and it does catch on, which would be the you know, dream scenario mm. that it catches on. You know, so it, it is super problematic for artists. Um, so I thought, look, how are Australian artists faring? Um, if you're not on a major and you're not having direct negotiations with UMG, um, you might be covered by the royalties um, being collected by the Australasian Performing Rights Association, and the Australasian Mechanical Copyright Owners Society, so APRA and AMCOS, we would have heard of. In November 2021, so quite a way back, they struck their first multi-year agreement with TikTok. Um, It did allow for the collection of, you know, digital mechanical and performance royalties for their artists. So that's about 111,000 songwriters, composers, music publishers in Australia and New Zealand. So it is important to keep all your... Doco, up to date with those organisations if you're an artist in that catch-all. I couldn't find out when that deal expires. Obviously, they don't have the negotiating power of a UMG, so it will be interesting to see where this goes. Um, 
According to the most recent data I could find, TikTok pays about US three cents for each new video in which your song is played. So that, that's peanuts anyway. Um, it would take a thousand videos featuring your music for you to make US thirty dollars. Uh, so it's it's not great, um, right? So you, even so, if it goes viral, it's not like there's an exponential increase. You're just getting paid for three cents for the one video. Uh, you, that's that's right. That's my understanding. Mm. But the thing is that there's two ways for it to go viral. Like one, the one video can go viral, but if you're luckier, the user generated content becomes a bit of a meme, yeah. and everyone wants to do that and use your song behind it. Mm. And then that starts to add up. Mm. So that would be the way. But it's not about, you know, in some ways it's not about money, it's about exposure and that translating into actual sales of your merch, of your music through Finding channels that you get. this song yeah. through a, you know, 10, Blowing up 30 through. second clip mm. and then going and finding that artist's album or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Maybe. doesn't mean do... that streaming payments should be peanuts. Absolutely not. Yeah. I mean, so this is universal and TikTok have just said, okay, See ya. Like they're not they're not changing. Yeah. So we keep an eye on it. I guess you know. Will they come together again? What's going to be the trigger point for that conversation? Um, yeah. Will they feel like they have to do things differently? But it must be one of the first times that TikTok's been told no. I, I think so, <laughs> and I think it's really significant. So you know, it's it's a watch this space. It's also significant to think about you know these two avenues for musicians to predominantly put their uh, music online at the moment. You've got streaming services like TikTok, um, but um, also, you know, Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube Music, Tidal, those sort of things. And they've got a number of different business models. So they do vary a lot. Some are royalty based on the number of streams that a song generates. Um, some are the amount of money that the platform earns from subscriptions or ads. Um, and it can be a mix of these things. You can have pro rata, user-centric or hybrid models that affect distribution amongst rights holders. And then you've got download services. So that's, you know, iTunes, Amazon Music, Bandcamp. Not that anyone's using iTunes anymore. Um, some people some people are because out of those download services, they were paying the most compared to some of the others. But I don't know if that's still true. Um, the royalty rates there are based on the price of the song or the album that the user purchases, the percentage that the platform keeps as a commission. Um, they usually pay download services higher royalty rates than the streaming services but have a much smaller market share and less frequency of consumption so you can see that you know songwriters are in a tight spot mm. and all you can do is hope that these organizations set to negotiate on their behalf really mm. go hard and it's a bit dystopian to think that the artists will now be creating songs with the view to get them on tiktok so like oh okay the, the shorter it is the more digestible and that's the motivation. Now. I mean, and you, you know, understand it. There are artists, and there are artists, and yes. you know, you could, I'm sure they will have different business models too. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Must be a lot of embarrassing videos out there now of people dancing to mute. Well, that's what I keep picturing. <laughs> and <laughs> kind of like a horror movie with the sound off. Oh yes, what happened to this zombie civilization that failed? You know? Yeah, it just looks silly. Yes. Why is she jiggling? Uh, all right. Well, we'll stay tuned. And what a treat to have you back, Vanessa Holker. It is an absolute pleasure. You're looking all shiny and fresh from your holidays. Mm. It's great to see. No, it's been really lovely listening to you back. And we'll catch you on Bite Into It throughout the year. Absolutely. See you on Wednesday night, 7pm. Triple R.
Beverly Floyce, Beverly Farm, Mel Cranenberg's here to talk books. Morning, Mel. Good morning. So wonderful to be here as always. It is, isn't it? It's yeah. It's it's a it's a delight to have you. And I, what can we ask? What what governs your book choices that you bring in? Sometimes it's so interesting because I kind of feel like. You know, I did a book show for a long time and I tried to focus really on local Australian writing. Now I'm just like, what do I want to read? And it would take a while to realise that about yourself almost. Yeah, no, mm. it really does. And, and it feels slightly wrong. I'm like, <laughs> I might be enjoying this just because I want to <laughs> read it. And I, I actually genuinely feel like, because I read unbelievably books that I don't review mm. which is um which also feels slightly illicit it's not for work and I realize it is quite damaging in some ways to just read for a kind of work thing or just read for reviewing because you read differently and I've had to retrain my brain to slow down to read books for pleasure yeah. and it's such an odd experience because I think I was really quite a slow reader back in the day and now I can hoe through a couple of books in a day oh my God, wow. <laughs> I don't recommend that that's not the ideal way to consume literature but um, you're elite so yep. elite <laughs> it's very hard to shirk your elite being your elite, oh, no. <laughs> elite reader God. terrible yes I need to slow down those fast firing fibers <laughs> Um, but look, this is actually, I've come in to talk about a book that I'm sure a lot of people will be interested in. It's by Kylie Reid, who kind of hit uh, the scene with her debut, Such a Fun Age, in 2020. And it's one of those books that immediately made a giant splash. Uh, she's an American author, one of the alumni of the famous Iowa Writers' Workshop that's produced a lot of literary luminaries, none of whom can come to mind immediately, but I'm sure <laughs> as soon as I leave, all of them will. Uh, but basically, uh, that book is one of those classic crossover literary books like a Sally Rooney type affair, where it actually did really, really well. It went on to the New York bestseller uh, list almost straight away, uh, but it also ended up on a Booker long list. So it really is a book that I think people in in a kind of broad audience will be interested in, but also literary readers will like as well. Uh, Such a Fun Age is about a uh, young woman, um, an African-American woman who is babysitting a white child and in the opening chapters of the book she's then kind of accused of kidnapping the kid and this very quickly, you know, turns into a situation where the parent of the child uh, then sort of takes her in and becomes like a kind of white saviour, if you like. There's a lot of well-meaning woke politics in there, but you can really see the sort of jarring hypocrisy of a lot of stuff going on. I won't give too much away with that, but it's a kind of enjoyable satire that is really quite easy to read. So you're getting your sort of dose of social commentary and social observation, but in a, a an easy-to-read kind of package. As a result, Come and Get It has been highly anticipated. It's uh, Kylie Reid's follow-up book. It's set in a university uh, in Arkansas and it kicks off with Agatha, who's an academic and writer. She's in her late 30s. She's having a bit of a, a kind of bust up with her partner who she's just married, but things are on the rocks. She's now come to, and this is a sort of weird premise, to interview a bunch of young college girls about their thoughts on weddings. So it's immediately in this weird sort of materialistic frame that she's sort of interviewing them about their thoughts about this this sort of 
aspect of marriage weddings. Uh, she meets Millie, who's a, a residential advisor, someone who's kind of like the the big kid in a, a kind of university residence who's there to look after the others. She's about 24. And uh, Millie is immediately kind of queer-coded with like uh, Birkenstocks and a Nalgene water bottle, which I was like, <laughs> it's like queer-coded from the 90s or something. Very odd, uh, but obviously still kicking around. Um, and then, you know, very quickly it sort of starts to become clear that this is a story about money and how money affects people. Uh, there's another college girl uh, included in there called Kennedy who seems like she's a real outsider. She is immediately the subject of, you know, a slightly mean girl or more than slightly mean girl, Tyler, uh, wants to get her moved out of their joint dorm room because she just has too much stuff. And it's all that kind of stuff that you can imagine buying from a homewares store that's really anodyne and has these these quite sort of vapid, um, you know, little axioms on it. Uh, and at one stage, one of them points out it's like uh, bloom where you... Uh, Loom where you're sewn or something was one of them and, you know, one of the other RAs or residential advisors just goes racist, um, which, you know, there are undercurrents of that as well here. Millie is one of the few black people on campus. There's another young black student, Peyton, who kind of gets implicated in a, in a really mean um, kind of prank that gets played on Millie uh, around, I won't get too much into the detail, but it's clear that Peyton didn't want to be involved, but maybe was sort of dragged in and it's got some real racial uh, undertones. And if you miss that, they basically tell you in the text that that is what's happening. So throughout this, you sort of start to get uh, a build-up of this sort of really incredibly... Um, you know, noxious behaviour starting to happen, a lot of it around money. For example, Millie is really trying to save up to buy a property, which as a young person is obviously a big deal. Uh, and she gets slipped 20 bucks for helping Tyler to shift Kennedy into a single room. Uh, she also then starts helping Agatha to listen in on these girls that she'd uh, she'd basically interviewed for the wedding for this uh interview about wedding but Agatha is now made a deal with her agent to do a regular column for Team Vogue where she is secretly uh, recording all the things that she hears these girls talk about and she's putting them down into a column and in the meantime Millie and Agatha start a sort of love affair but you can tell there's a power imbalance there. So there's all these little you know nests of hornets that are being set for you the reader to see these this bad behaviour going on, these really dubious ethical setups, and also just the kind of unhealthy relationship with money a lot of these people have. Particularly, you're sort of kicked off with these young girls talking about, you know, wanting particular things, but also, uh, you know, their relationship with money, how they get it, etc. And the other thing is, you know, there's this undercurrent in America of Ivy League privilege, uh, but this is not an Ivy League university. And when the column's being written, it's slightly ambiguous, ambiguously coded so people think it is. So there's all this stuff about, I guess, you know, culture, race and money wound in. The only show I would say with it is it doesn't really quite 100% land. I really think Kylie Reid's got some great social observation going on, but I 
definitely feel like right from the start it needed a good edit to pull things together a lot more. Uh, there is a little bit too much heavy-handed telling within the text and I do feel like, you know, some of the, the languages could be tightened up. Having said that, you know, as much as I found the beginning quite difficult to get into and a little unrealistic, I did find some of the other, you know, characters or, or portraits painted less than caricatures, more like getting into some realism there as well. And she has a nice ear for things like running together the words, oh, my God, or oh, my goodness, as a single word. And that's used as almost a refrain throughout the whole text. And you can kind of feel that, that air of really observing. She's She's got a lot of minutiae in here, real quotidian detail about what people wear, about the the things she's seeing around the place. So there's a lot of that kind of detail, but sometimes it does feel like it's too much and it comes at the expense of other things. And it does kind of end in this really weird, overly dramatic way and then gets tied up somewhat moralistically at the end. So I didn't feel like this was as strong as her first book, but still I reckon has elements of a very enjoyable read. She's definitely a writer that has a great way to kind of cast a lot of social ills into a readable format. I just feel like none of them quite evolved here, but there are definitely, you know, one of the things I haven't seen many reviewers talking about is that she really does go to town on writers mm. here. And it's interesting because I know Yellow Face is a book that's been talked about quite a bit. I believe there may be a review coming up on this very show at some point, so I won't go too much into that. But looking at writers behaving badly uh, is something that I quite enjoy in texts. And there's a couple of elements of that happening here where uh, I don't want to give away anything, but there's, you know, certainly someone turning a terrible thing that happened to them into copy, into a short story. There's uh, a writing uh, teacher potentially not really even giving someone a chance to have an opportunity. And there's obviously an unethical writer in Agatha who is, you know, not only secretly listening in on people and then using the things that she hears without telling them and framing it as an interview, she's also slightly making up details as well as changing their names. So there's all and these... And kind of claiming the idea as her own as exactly. well. And I feel like there's a little bit of the writer showing their own sort of inner workings or that that kind of slight disgust with the, the process of writing where you take things that you have obviously observed in real life. I feel like she's slightly owning that she may, she spent a lot of time herself as she talks about on college campuses. She has been an, an academic herself or lectured or taught at university and lived in college towns. So I feel like she's owning a little bit of that too, that there might be a bit of, I use what I no, yeah. going on. So I did enjoy that, I have to admit. Do you have a handle on why, and forgive me if it's been addressed in some way or obliquely, but come and get it. Is it obvious why that's the title? I guess so. Look, I, th I feel like it's really that sort of grab for money. And I think throughout that is a, a kind of observed characteristic here that people are just after what they can get. Transactionality, I mm. think, really, is the order of the day and questioning that nature we, of relationships. Do we leave the dorm? Uh, we do leave the dorm. We sort of see the backstory of quite a few of the characters. So we see Agatha's backstory with her her relationship with her partner um, and we see uh, the backstory of Millie and Kennedy's backstory as well. So we leave 
the college campus. Um, we get little elements of that outside of there to see their greater world. So there are those elements, but it really is the the hub of where everything happens. And I think, you know, if uh, Sally Rooney's taught us anything, people do love a kind of college campus drama uh, and this is definitely in that vein. And it deals with things that I think Rooney's books have been criticised for not dealing with the racial elements uh, are definitely an undertone here or an overtone, uh, but maybe not as prominent as in uh, uh, Kylie's first book. Uh, But I would say that definitely there's you know, a real focus on money and transactionality and the sort of, I guess, banality of, if not evil, just bad behaviour. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, shitty stuff people do to get ahead that actually really doesn't get them ahead in the end. Huh. The things that go down on an Arkansas college campus. Yeah, yeah. All right. It's Come and Get It by Kylie Reid, the new one. Mel Cranenberg, thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> Triple R on FM, digital, online and via the app. Thanks so much for being here. It means a lot. Dennis Eong is a chef and founder of Fermian, which transforms undesired and imperfect produce through fermentation, granting a second life to food that normally goes to waste. And was behind Parks or Scrap Backwards, an acclaimed low-waste fermentation wine bar in the CBD. Dennis is behind now CBF Cuisine, a celebration of bootleg cooking, which is upcoming at the Testing Grounds in Queenstream. To tell us about it, the culinarily witty and original chef joins us now. Dennis, welcome to Breakfasters. Thanks for having me. Now, it's our pleasure. Michael Harden, is, who's our food interluder, is an enormous fan of yours. Yeah, I, I love him. Yeah, I love this guy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what, and we were saying off air that he gets it. What does he get, do you reckon? I think he just gets, like, you know, breaking the rules and, you know, exploring new things, which mm. I think, yeah, you know, just evolution of, like, food, you know. Yeah, I think he gets all that, yeah. And what's your... Do you need to know the rules deeply to be able to break them? What's your attitude to rules? Um, I don't know. I think that's sort of my foundation in everything. I, you know, learn the basics and after that I sort of just, you know, drift it to my own, like, um, style in a way. Yeah, I think that's that's usually how I do it. Yeah. yeah. Do you entertain yourself? How important is that? Yeah, I think I just get bored really easily. So that's like something to really keep me going yeah. in a way. So, yeah. What 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 in the food world kind of bores you? What do you rebel against philosophically? I know this is really bad to say, but I don't know. Just um, like there's too many wine bars. <laughs> <laughs> too many wine bars and like... Man, cafe is just it's just driving me crazy. <laughs> what do you I wish mean, there more of instead? I think something like seafood street. This is ah. yeah, you know, restaurants like that, just really simple and mm. you know, something like that. Yeah. Mm, okay. So did you say seafood street? Yeah, I think that's my favorite restaurant in just the whole Melbourne. Mm. What is it about wine bars that does you in? I don't know. It's just so repetitive and mm. it's. Yeah, you know, it's always the same, and I, I don't know. I know maybe, you know, like, just like saying this, someone's going to curse me, but, um, yeah, I don't know. It, it's just never change, and, yeah, I just found it really... Is this a bit comfortable? Yeah. yeah, maybe too comfortable, yeah, yeah. Well, I guess, yeah, when they become, like, so formulaic, it becomes just, like, 
a marker of gentrification. Exactly, exactly, yeah. yeah. And so you expose brick wall and the, the lights. Mm. And you must bore yourself. So you get bored of yourself you and you move on. Yeah, exactly. I think um, trying to explore, like, different things at the moment, you know, apart from, like, what my practice uh, usually does. Mm. So trying to explore, like, um, so this thing, you know, tying back to this uh, CBF cuisine. Yeah. It's, like, can't be fucked. Um, So the idea was to explore, um, you know, meals you cook for yourself when you feel really depressed. Mm -hmm. You know, especially like in hospital, you know, everyone thought like, you know, chef, like, you know, whoa, shit, you know, food that, you know, you cook for your like people. Mm -hmm. But sometimes you just get home and just so tired of cooking Mm because you've been cooking for so long and all you want to eat is just, you know, egg sandwich. That's it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or like, who knows? I don't know what people eat these days, but <laughs> I've eaten some really, like, weird food yeah. at home. You'll slum it with yourself if, yeah. and treat others with respect. Yeah, exactly. Like, sometimes I would just eat rice and microwave cabbage. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. This is, like, the food I would eat but what at time home. are you getting home from a shift? Like... Sometimes, like, back then was, like, mostly 12, 1. Yeah. But then, you know, um, recently it was, like, 11, which is pretty good. Mm. Mm. But you still get really tired from cooking, you know? Yeah. yeah. That's classic of chefs, isn't it? Exactly, yeah. They have toast for dinner. Yeah. So you're not putting microwave cabbage in a cookbook, though, are you? Or are oh, you? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you, you have to find out. <laughs> is, it, is microwave cabbage, can you smell that the next morning? Sorry? Can you smell that the next morning? Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really interested in CBF cooking because I definitely feel that yeah. way a lot of the time when it comes to preparing exactly. a meal. I. What's your thoughts as well on being impatient as well? Is that like a toxic combination? Because sometimes I'm like, <laughs> I can't be bothered and I also don't have the patience Exactly. For this. You just like one or five minutes meal. Yeah, exactly. I want and something it's sort really of, quick. So the whole concept is also sort of like, you know, ripping off like 15 minutes, Jamie Oliver yeah. meal, that kind of vibe. And, um, you know, also like, you know, I'm not sure you know that phrase from uh, School for Rock. Um, to get to the man. Yeah. yeah. Like, you know, breaking the rules and, like, you know, doing all these things. And, you know, especially when you, um, like, when you do all these, like, weird, you know, CBF meals, mm. and usually you discover lots of, like, bootleg techniques, mm. you know? Talk us through it. What yeah. are some bootleg techniques? Like, you know, just cooking a whole chicken in the microwave. <laughs> oh, my God, what? Yeah, I mean, that I got that from my friend's mom. Mm. And he, like, the mom called it nuclear chicken. <laughs> Is it in a bag? No. So you marinate the chicken, right? Mm. And you chuck it in, like, a, like a, like a, like a pot. Mm. Like a, you can microwave the pot, the kind of pot. And, um, so it depends on the size of the chicken. You, um, you do it, like, 10 minutes. And then you open it and switch it 10 minutes. You get, like, a whole a dinner. Oh, my God. For a whole family, basically. And mm. you've, and it tastes, it tastes fine? Yeah, it's amazing. Wow, okay. So, uh, just to put words in your mouth, maybe, c- CBF cooking, it's something that you do anyway, but you're turning your mind to it and going, actually, how can I level up here and share this knowledge? Exactly. I think, so, um, I still wanted to tie a bit of, like, fermentation into the book. Mm-hmm. So, how I did it was, um, so, you know, you have, like, condiments at home. Usually, you would put it on, like... You know, stuff like that. Or let's say, you know, you make egg sandwich. Mm-hmm. And then you would put a bit of, like, ketchup or, like, hot sauce, something like that. So the idea is you would make these condiments when you feel bad, 
like you feel shit, mm. and then you can have it later, you know. So uh, sorry, sorry. You have you make this condiments when you feel um when you feel good. Yes. When you have time, mm. and then you have it later when you feel shit. Mm. Nice. That doesn't make sense. Yeah, and put that positive memory on your exactly, food. exactly. So you have all these condiments in your fridge, and you know that's You're the way to go. Preparing yourself. Exactly for like for um for like for later. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You mentioned this book. What is this book? So the book is um is called How to Preserve Yourself. Mm-hmm. So me and my friend uh, Dean, um, so my really good friend, he's our origin from Brisbane, and he currently lives in uh, Leipzig, Germany. Mm-hmm. So I was in Germany like last year, maybe around like December, and then one day we just came home, um, got a beer. Beer is really cheap in Germany. I mean, everyone knows <laughs> that. Um, so sat down on the couch, and then we started talking about like exchanging um, our stories, like like power stories about like you know all this like cbf meals we made for ourselves after work <laughs> and then out of nowhere we just came out like wow this needs to be in a book exactly and next thing you know um we started the, straight away the next day and then we finished the book in three weeks i'm not even kidding because you had so much inside you i think we just have adhd <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. and so many recipes and so when we're satirizing jamie oliver we're we're satirizing what the aspiration of it as well. What what is it about the fifteen minute stuff that CBF cooking skewers in a way? Yeah, you know it has to be quick and um, like food like tastes good. Mm. You know, and um, I think a lot of the time, you know, you you want it to taste good, and you're sort of you know you're trying to capture the. The, you know, like the, what do you call that? Like the, the optimal point of this thing. Yes. And that thing, what you're trying to capture is like savoriness, like MSG. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the the book cover, I didn't have the book today, but I'm going to tell you, the book cover in front, that's actually a whole, um, like a jug of MSG. All right. <laughs> that's the cover, okay. the photo. That's it. To dedication to like MSG. Like yeah. Instant flavor. Exactly. Because exactly. nothing is... else matters. Everything else is dressing. Exactly. Um, but yeah, I think that's something, you know, everyone, every restaurant is trying to like, you know, capture Yeah, like all the food, all they want is just savoriness. What about waste and anti-waste? Obviously you're a big advocate for for not wasting anything. Is that what this book touches on as well? Yeah, a little bit, but more on like exploring the whole idea of like, you know, depressing meals and, um, (laughs) but also, you know, like, you know, kind of teaching like how do you... Um, use like leftovers from the fridges. Yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah. Like, you know, scraps from the fridge. Like, how can you um, like utilize those stuff? Like, for example, one of the recipe was um, like a pumpkin seed. So you can take those seed and make it into, like a chili oil. Oh wow! Or oh. Um, so Dean came up with this recipe. Um, it's called deep uh, freezer burn uh, namjim. <laughs> so it was like a piece, and then he just mashed it up from. You know, all this, like, frozen stuff that made it into, like, condiment. So it just ah. wouldn't happen that you would open, like, the, the what is it, like, the chili bin, the bottom of the fridge. Yeah, the and freezer. And you'd see something and be like, nah, I can't do anything. Yeah, that. yeah. Pretty much everything. You're like, Yeah, no, exactly. It's got a meal in it. Yeah. How do you feel about the term anti-chefing? I love it. Yeah. I think that's 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 my new, that's the, I think that's the style I've been sort of, you know, like, that's my whole philosophy in cooking anyways <laughs> yeah. from the start. Um... But yeah, I think it's an interesting thing because like, um, 
Yeah, it's just just trying to be different, you know. Yeah, from everything. Is it possible with the, with decades eventually of rebelling against yourself that one day you'll be running a first class RSL kitchen? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Serving baked beans, and <laughs> cabbage. Yeah, yeah. Actually, it's funny because I, I um, when I was in Germany, so it's really interesting because uh, in this really small um, like town, it's called Riesa, and my friend discovered there's a pasta factory there, uh-huh. and so we went to the pasta factory, and um, so there's a restaurant there, and we sat down, we we look at the menu, and we were like, wait, what? Pasta chips. Uh, and then the dessert is made from pasta too. Everything was pasta. <laughs> and then the so the dessert was literally lasagna, so layered with like fruits and stuff. What? It's really weird. And then one of the other dessert was um, uh, what is it again? I think like pasta cook sort of cooking like um like a risotto, mm. like a sweet like porridge. a rice pudding. Oh yeah, God. it's really weird. Stick but... to what you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um. And then we order this main dish, which is um, so uh, like a burger, mm. but instead of buns, they use like like spaghetti. It was really <laughs> weird. <laughs> but I mean, it's it's like kind of bad, like you know, bad sort good. of depressing meal. Yeah. But is this what people are going to be eating at the bootleg banquet? That kind of like um, in- innovative. How much microwave chickens on the menu? Yeah, nuclear chickens on the menu, 100%. <laughs> but uh, so this dinner is it's called Bullet Banquet. So it's uh, by a special guest, uh, Chef Mike. Mm. I can't give it away too much, okay. but that's a surprise. Okay. Guess, yeah. But there are, there are some things that we need to get through because there's a bit going on. So you're Dennis Young. You're, host, you're hosting? Yeah, yeah. I am uh, so running it with um, – so me and my friend um, John yes. is a graphic designer, and he's helping me um, – to um, sort of produce this event. Um, and the event is CBF Cuisine, a yep. celebration of bootleg cooking. Now that's the 7th to the 9th, or is that... Uh, the 7th to the 8th. 7th to the 8th, yep. yes. Uh, and that's at the Testing Grounds. Yeah, exactly. Uh, which is a fun space. Yeah, um, Joe and Millie, really nice like people. They run the space. Yeah. Um, yeah, they're really... Uh, yeah, they're, they're just so nice to let us like use the space on the bottom... Um, so yeah, it's a really big space, and we are super interested, uh, like so excited to just, you know, show everyone what we're gonna do there. Yes. So as a part of that, there's a book. There's a the book that you've got. Yep, exactly. And you'll be launching it. Yep. And we that's... literally yeah launch it. Not sure if you guys saw the video, but um, there's a video of the book, and then we lit up like a like a rocket and shoot out this. <laughs> of course, the did. book launch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, so this uh, on the seventh, which is the book launch. Mm-hmm. So there will be some uh, bootleg snacks by um, Brother John, who used to run like Munchies down in Berwick. Nice. And then um, there's a, a bit of a, sort of like an art exhibition as well. So this time we're taking um, <laughs> a level up. We are ripping off like really famous like artists, like for example Damien Hirst. Yes, I mean he's already ripping off someone else, so we're ripping off him off somehow. Yeah. Um, What's up, man? Is a familiar shark? <laughs> yeah, 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 something like that. <laughs> so Shark Tank, and he's like pharmacy thing. Yeah. So we would 
taking our own take on it. Nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's so funny. All right. And so, okay, we've got the book launch, which is, and the book is How to Preserve Yourself. That's by uh, your mate Dean Wallflower. And, and Dennis, yeah. Yeah, and Dennis Young. And then on Friday, March 8, we've got the bootleg banquet yep. by Chef Mike yep. and Fermian. Yep. And there's dinner and show. But for all information, go to cbf-cuisine.com. Exactly. All right. There's a lot going on, and it's all fun. Dennis Young, great pleasure to have you in. Thank you so much. Woo! Ah, that's right. Triple R. I went to one of the canned deposit machines for the first time yesterday. Ooh. I Yes, it was really fun. Mm. I had used one overseas, but I hadn't used one locally since the, the deposit scheme was introduced end of last year. And when I rocked up, there was a line. Um, and I was clearly a rookie because as I came out with my box of like cans and containers, the guy just said, is that all you got? And oh. he just had bags and crates and he was doing, I'm like, oh, like he'd been collecting big for weeks. Big can energy. Yeah. yeah. I'm lucky it's very close to, yeah, big can. If you can't, can't, can. <laughs> um, so he'd been collecting for weeks. I'm lucky to live pretty close to it. So I was like, I'll just drop in and, and fill it out. And the the side of one side, there's like two kind of slots where you can pop in the containers, but one side was out of order, which happens often, apparently. Is it, sorry? Yes. I haven't used one. Is it just cans? No. So it's containers, so it's glass bottles. Jars? Uh, No. Um, I think plastic bottles as well. Uh, Like those Tetra packs, I think, are also, um, you can recycle them there but it depends this is kind of what makes it so fun the actual machine um is quite cool like there's like the slot where you place the can or the bottle and it kind of assesses it and there's like pink and purple lights flashing on it and then if it accepts it it's the right size you see it kind of disappear into the distance on like a tiny little conveyor belt oh like the like your bags at the airport yeah like a little version of that it's quite dramatic almost emotional and then it it goes and disappears if it accepts it if not there's a screen and a big red cross comes up so some things just weren't accepted and I didn't know why. I think with the glass bottles, it's a size thing. And I thought of Michael Harden as well because I had all the little Belvedere tonics mm. because he's like, yes, you got to have the small bottles of tonics. So, you know, you're not wasting and it's like cold and bubbles and didn't accept that size. So I'm like, damn it. Oh, Michael Daddy, Harden. Michael Harden. <laughs> Back to the up. big bottles. <laughs> And does it spit it back out at you or does it say we'll take care of it even though we can't use it? No, it just sits there and people are waiting. So you put it in your discard pile. So it doesn't take tiny bottles, okay? Oh, yeah. And I wasn't sure why, like saying with some full of tonic water. Like, but it's still full of tonic water. Oh, God, no, that's just sexy. <laughs> That's the good stuff there. Not a not a drop is left in that bottle bottle. Glug, glug, glug. I'm sipping right to the last minute before I put it in. Uh, no, just you have to take it off and get on with it. So I, I imagine maybe some barcodes might be an issue, but there were some brands you could see like just wouldn't go through. I don't know. Mm. I'm not sure whether you could put it down to the brand, but I'm not sure. So that element kind of adds Something kind of exciting to it, I guess. I feel like Jeopardy. Yeah, it feels like you are playing a bit of a game, mm. and like the claw or something 
you know. And, oh, yeah. And and what is the idea that you get money at the end? Yeah, so you get 10 cents per container. Great. So you watch it clock up. So it is, it's... it's Did you see kids there? I feel like it no would be kids. A... I was oh. the middle of the day. So it was oh, school. adults only. Yeah, they're at school. But, yeah, I imagine it would be a hit with I would kids. have loved that when I was a kid. Oh, yeah. What a great way to earn a bit of extra pocket money. Yeah. I know. I will. I mean, Those lucky South Australians don't know how good they had it. I know. All this time, and it would it really, really like incentivizes like people to pick up like rubbish. Yeah, along does, the road. Does it give you cash like or what it no? So it's either you can register with the app and you can select to get it. Imagine going into your account, some form of credit. I got a voucher, so I have to not a voucher. It's like a you can go and redeem the money before um, at, like, certain supermarkets and outlets. And then can they give you cash? I assume so. I haven't done it yet. So it's still hope for you, Daniel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I'll have to um, follow up from that. But, it, yeah, it was really fun. Yeah, it felt like it's a kind of weird, like, reverse vending machine too. So, so if you get stuck behind a big guy, a guy with a lot of stuff, mm. it, is it like, oh, I'll just go home because this will be forever? I waited it out and then he kind of – relented like halfway through and let me go through with my small box. I was like, oh, thank you. Yeah. I'm like, oh, my first time. And he was happy to show me the ropes and some of the cans weren't going through. He's like, no, you got to turn around the other way. And he's oh. like, that one's too crunched. And he's like, see you tomorrow. Yeah, it felt really <laughs> social. It felt really fun. And I was like, this is, it feels like a gateway activity to dumpster diving as well. Oh, yes. Yeah, okay. you're like, this is great. I'm going to like collect cans on the side of the road. I'm going to, I'm going to make it. Heaps of cash from this. Yeah, side hustle. Yeah, and then I, I feel like you could chat with someone and they'd have tips on where to go. Yeah, I feel like a lot. It, I'm excited. Kissed by the can dispensing machine. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know why I'm kissing people, but <laughs> why not? So if a can's crushed, do they accept it? Nah. It's fine. Look, I only oh. went through with a small portion. I'm still kind of observing what it does and doesn't accept. But from what I saw, some just know. Like I saw the two people in front of me both had big hauls of cans and bottles and they went away with like a crate each. And they did seem consistent with the brands that weren't accepted. So, Weird. yeah, I'll have to investigate that further. But it, it was a lot of fun. And, yeah, take the kids along Tom well. on the text line says that his four-year-old has taken to um, collecting cans for pocket money. But it also means that Tom, his dad, is now being encouraged to drink more beers. Win-win. <laughs> so, yeah. I don't know what the problem is. Around the machine, it just reeks of beer. Like, yeah. the stench is so strong. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, and I feel like your kind of drinking habits are really on display as well. Yeah, well, it's great idea. It's bittersweet. If you have a, a party... Yeah. Put all the cans in one, one container and don't yeah. crush them, apparently. So a Tetra Pack, what does that look like? So it's like a soy... Um, yeah, like a soy milk thing or a long right. life milk. Yeah. So Box. I didn't put one through, but I'm pretty sure I saw someone doing that. Well, I didn't realise until yesterday, again, with our sustainability chat with Dr. Kate Luckins, that you don't meant to put them in the recycling? Apparently. <gasps> that varies from council to council. So oh. I know because... When Take I the work decision the away from me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it still baffles me. And I know the council I'm in now, they recycle polystyrene. Oh. But a lot of councils don't, but there's specific drop-off drop points. Yeah, it's it's convoluted. So yeah. let's say you've got all these rejected cans. Mm. If you chuck them in the bin, would everyone go, <gasps> or you're expected to go back home and re- recycle them for free and no profit? 
Yeah, yeah. I t- put them back in the car, back yeah. in the box and straight into the recycling. But it was funny. Last night I had a beer and I went, and I'm like, no. Oh, <laughs> like the muscle cents. memory. I'm like, damn it, that's 10 cents. Yeah, yeah. You don't want to lose it. Yeah, I'd really recommend it. It's really fun. It's wild though I because it was – there was a Seinfeld episode about it that Kramer got obsessed with the refund scheme. You could get five um, cents in New York, but where was the other city? Or oh, anyway, you could get 10 cents somewhere else. So it was trying to – him and Newman figured – like we're trying to make it economically viable if they collected enough cans, if they crossed like – into another state, they'd get enough money. Anyway, a guy on YouTube did a documentary trying to replicate that before uh, Victoria had the scheme. Oh, to go over to South Australia? Yeah, he's like, if I, can I collect enough cans, 10,000 cans, to make it economically viable to go over to Albury, Wodonga mm. and recycle them all? And then he got over there and they wouldn't accept them. They have to be from the state that you're in, well, apparently. Well, pe- people are saying the machine has to read the barcode on the cans. Okay. I don't know what difference. I don't know what that would make unless it's state. But Isn't that we wild? Get, we get stuff imported from different states and stuff. Like, mm. I'm sure it would be, oh, you didn't buy that in Victoria. We won't mm. crush it for you. Poor South Australia as well. They lose the Grand Prix. The Australian <laughs> Open? The Australian Open, yeah. yeah. And then get a container deposit scheme gazumped. Now what have you got? <laughs> Bobby McCombs. <laughs> Lucky ducks. <laughs> Thanks for listening to a podcast of the best bits of Breakfasters, the Monday to Friday breakfast show broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia. Feel free to get in touch with us via Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or via the Triple R website.